How do you describe Emma Petrack? Uh, for those of you who don't know Emma, she's an incredible person, and she's done some amazing things in her life and is now doing some really great things, which we'll discuss. But Emma is somebody, when I thought about having this podcast in the early stages, she was somebody that I wanted to have on in the beginning, especially to set the tone for what we're about. And this podcast is about being honest and talking about your feelings and and being open and being vulnerable. And Emma's gone through so much socially, emotionally, uh, spiritually, mentally, physically, occupationally, you name it. And her story is one that I think everyone should hear, uh, starting from a really difficult, uh, you know, past and now rising to where she is now. So I could read Emma's bio, and she sent me an awesome bio to read. I mean, it reads like a book. It's incredible, but I think it's better to discuss her life uh, through this bio. And and I've had the fortune of knowing her for at least 10 years, and I'm excited for my audience to get to know her and to see where she's been. So I look forward to introducing to you guys to a good friend of mine, a wonderful colleague and somebody who I think is really starting to set the cannabis industry on fire. So without further ado, please welcome Emma Petrack. Yo, what's Yo. up, Emma? What up? <laughs> what? Look at that energy coming on with it. Abundance bell. Oh, man, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> you pumped it up straight up. <laughs> How you doing, girl? Oh, my gosh, so good. I've made my day to hear from you. I'm so excited that I get to oh, talk with man. you today. Well, this is going to be a good one. I know you're going to be pumped. This is going to be great. Hell yeah, I'm stoked. <laughs> awesome. I have a lot to ask you and a lot to talk about. And uh, I think my listeners are going to really enjoy this journey we're going to take. Well, I'm really honored to be on your show. And I really appreciate you inviting me on. I know it's going to be such a great time. And I look forward to meeting your following and to sharing you with mine and to just have a great conversation. Yes. Yes. You know, what's funny. I was uh, before this, I'm always talking to people and I was on with my financial advisor and he was like, I just called you because I've been listening to your podcast. It's awesome. I was like, okay. Isn't that great when you can impact somebody? It's like a lot of the stuff that you do and I do, it's so much work and it's really nice to know that there are people that listen and, you know, it's a good reminder of why we do what we do every day. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, so it's, you know, I just, I felt led to do it. And I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be totally honest with everybody. Just put it out there what I'm up to. And the people that I have on are amazing people. And I want them to be honest as well, you know. Heck yeah. I'm so proud of you. I think that's a great idea. There's so many things out there that, you know, aren't too authentic. And I think people right now are really looking for things to latch on to that they can relate to and people that are more real and just truthful and authentic totally agree you know it's funny i've known you for a really long time i was like how long have i known emma it's been oh my like... gosh how long has it been it's i've been in <laughs> here in vegas now for 10 years i okay. moved here in march 10 years ago so i met That's... you what a year before i moved out here i think i think so years? so 11 years it's a long time Dang, where did that time go <laughs> <laughs> that's such a long time to know somebody and look how much has changed a lot changes in a decade and uh, Heck yeah, it does. I wanted to get into 
a little bit. You know, you sent me your bio. I was like, no, this is a bio. This is like a serious amount of stuff here, man. <laughs> I was like, we're just going to talk about it during the show because I can't read all this beforehand. You know? You're going to hear I was... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was just trying to, to catch you up on some of the stuff I've been up to since I last saw you and uh, mm-hmm. thought you could pick and choose some from it. I know there is a lot. I think we both have our hands in a whole ton of things. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna pick all of it just so you know <laughs> all right i'm down i'm down, down. so yep. you know i don't even think i know a lot about your life growing up but i think it'd be good to know just tell me how that was in waterford pennsylvania you know what was life like for you oh my gosh waterford pennsylvania that place makes me feel so nostalgic when i think of it mm-hmm. waterford has about 2500 people it's super small Um, And it's part of a bigger county called Erie, which is right on the lake in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And growing up there was pretty amazing looking back. I know I took a lot for granted living there, like I think a lot of us do. But so much green. Um, I grew up pretty poor. Um, A lot of kids that I knew did in that area. Mm -hmm. uh, It just didn't have the best economy growing up. And, you know, finding really good work is tough. So, I was pushed as a kid, instead of using toys, like a lot of kids I know now growing up um, did when they were younger, I used my imagination a ton. And my mom really encouraged me to to dream big. And she knew that that was something that money couldn't buy. And I had a great time growing up there, climbing trees. And we have winter at least six months a year. So even though it was really cold, um it was kind of humbling to just have those moments where you're inside shackled with your family with the power out. And some of the things that seemed a little bit miserable growing up now, I look (laughs) on super fondly, but Erie is an awesome place right on the lake. And I encourage everybody to go check it out. It's might not be the place to live for everybody, but it's (laughs) quite an awesome place to visit, especially in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah, of course. East coast is actually pretty beautiful in the summertime. Well, after you get over the humidity, level oh my gosh it's pretty uh i was just in key west on vacation and i was like oh my gosh it's like stifling the how much how humid it is but Uh, that's hard yes dude especially being a chick and you take all the time (laughs) to do your hair and look all nice and then you walk outside and you look like a lion three minutes later (laughs) your hair's all froed out and stuff it's like whoa i know I'm like, I didn't raise you like this hair. What's going on here? So tell <laughs> right. me a little bit about like, I know you went through some struggles during that time, you know, growing up. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, 100%. Like I said, I can look back really fondly, but growing up was pretty tough for me. Um, for one, I didn't always take pride in being poor. I used to be ashamed of it. So mm-hmm. I carried that with me. And um, I went through some issues with my parents. I grew up with an abusive father, which we mm-hmm. have a great relationship now. And, um, that was a big journey for me getting through a lot of that, but I had to overcome some adversity with learning my self-worth and how to cultivate that without necessarily looking for it in others. Um, I spent a lot of time growing up being a people pleaser, feeling victimized, um, I got into drugs at a young age, which is how I found cannabis, actually. Right. Um, Cannabis was something that I did um, kind of despite my doctor's orders. I had asthma growing up ever since I can remember. Um, I had 
horrible asthma. I was in and out of the hospital as a kid. A lot of my parents' money went to my medical bills, and I was on a ton of different medications. Um, fun fact, I don't even know if you know this about me, you might, but I was supposed to be 5'11", and I was on so many steroids as a kid that it stunted my growth to where now I'm only 5'2". Right. And I'm grateful for my height now, but <laughs> it just shows how much, how many drugs I was pumped up on, right? And I felt miserable. I, I never felt like myself, and I wasn't able to play sports as a kid. Um, I really had nowhere to channel all this energy that I had at that young age, and I got into some things that weren't quite as, as good for me. Um, cannabis was something that when I would consume it, for some reason, it, it, it helped alleviate some of the anxiety and some of the the raw emotions that I felt going through some of the things I, I took really hard growing up. And I got in trouble in high school for selling drugs. Um, I got kicked out of my 10th grade class and redeemed myself enough to where I was homecoming queen my senior year. So I went through a really huge growth spurt in that time. And right. probably my biggest growth spurt was finding fitness. Um, I was never allowed to really work out growing up and I want to say around the time I was like 17, 18, 19, I started going to the gym a little bit and I would go because I saw my friends were going and a lot of my girlfriends looked really beautiful. They had these fit bodies from playing soccer and, right. you know, I kind of, I was struggling to get my weight up above a hundred pounds and I was a hundred pounds of pretty much fat kid. You know, I was eating fast food at the time and just had a right. high metabolism, but it was super unhealthy. So Started going to the gym. Um, I would go for a few minutes in the beginning. I would say, I think my first couple times, it was I was there for under 10 minutes. I had an asthma attack every time. And I thought, well, I'm at least getting past five minutes or six minutes. The time I'm here is growing, so why don't I just keep coming? And I did. And throughout the course of about a year and a half, two years of just keep of continuing to go, my asthma and all of the symptomology related to that went away. And ever since I haven't taken a single medication since I was probably 19 or 20. So that really set me up on my path to um, understanding what I think we all know now is a growth mindset. Um, yeah. It really opened me up to, wow, you know, if something's not right in your life. We really have a strong capacity to change that. Um, so the journey was super weird growing up for me because I kind of felt like I went through a huge transformation that sort of found me in a way just going against mm. almost my rebellious nature put me <laughs> in a good, um, a good situation. And I was able to channel my bad habits into really healthy, healthier addictions. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Do you still feel like you have a rebellious nature in some way in your current life? A hundred percent. I think that's something <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll always try to cultivate that. But now that I'm mm -hmm. older, I have um, I've always loved adventure. Like I said, my mom really raised me to um, to play around with my mind instead of toys. Mm -hmm. And so ever since I was young and even middle school and even like my lower parts of high school, I always just. I loved pretending and I loved envisioning myself being other people and imagining different lives. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I was like, wow, I can do this um, in a way that I can bring this to fruition in a sense, instead of just thinking about it. And as I've gotten older, I've learned 
But one thing I love is uncertainty. I love taking risks and I love doing things that are challenging and kind of against the grain. And now instead of doing things rebelliously out of impulse that could be harmful to me (laughs) or to other people, I've more just learned, okay, if I'm really excited and if I'm feeling impulsive or rebellious, why don't I take a risk in business or why don't I make this phone call or why don't I switch industries and try something that, you know, people aren't necessarily for, and that would be a little bit more surprising and challenging. So I've learned how to cultivate that and um, pour that rebellious nature into things that have benefited me. So tell me a little bit about that rebellious nature and your moving from Pennsylvania all the way to good old Las Vegas. Oh my gosh. Well, for one, that journey could not have happened without you. And Oh, that's nice of you to say. Every time I look <laughs> back at that period of my life, you were my rock going through that and I didn't even know oh, you man. and you did so much for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Around that time, I was going to and getting a, I guess you would call it an associate's degree from mm-hmm. Pinnacle Career Institute, which was the institute that you actually were helping write the curriculum for. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, you were one of my instructors and I had never seen you because the course was <laughs> online. But I do remember afterwards, we, I think it was on Facebook, we found each other. And yeah. we started connecting on Messenger and just asking questions back and forth and After going to Las Vegas for a small internship that I did with the company, I got to physically meet you there. And I want to say about six months or so after I got home, I got a call from that institute in Las Vegas that said, hey, we'd love to hire you part time. How do we get out here? And it was your good friend at the time, Charles. Yeah. Um, And so I remember reaching out to you and saying, hey, I have like $200, barely any support. (laughs) I really want to take this risk, but I don't know how to do it. And that's where I started kind of realizing the power of manifestation, the law of attraction, um, and just what can happen when when you step out, when you start asking questions, connecting with people, and manifesting. Um, Right. I I remember I made a plan. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but the second I accepted the job offer in November when I got the call – I went to work immediately and just started telling people, I'm moving to Las Vegas in um, February of next year. And people were like, you're what? You're moving to Las Vegas? <laughs> and I remember my, telling my parents that. And they were like, you're not going to Las Vegas. Like, how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. And all these things, when I started talking about it, and I remember one of the statistics I, I actually read in that course was um, one of the statistics that I read in that course was people who write down their dreams and goals are 90% more likely to achieve them than people that don't. Right. That fact really struck me, and I had remembered that, and I wasn't doing it up until then. I thought, you know what? This is a goal. I just learned this. Why don't I put it into practice? You know, a lot of other things that I didn't think that could happen did for me. I healed my body. I just got this cool job offer. Um, let's see what, it, what happens if I start creating this. So I wrote it down, went to work, started telling everybody. And a few days after I started putting that into the universe, I had a random gentleman come up to me at work and say, hey, are you Emma? 
And I said, yes. And he said, <laughs> I was working the front desk at a gym at the time in Erie. And he said, yeah. well, I would like to um, extend a warm welcome out to you if you move out to Vegas. And if you're interested, I'm a real estate agent out there. I come home for the off season of school. I'm also a bus driver. So when it's summertime, Christmas, I like to come home and to Erie and spend time with my family. And I have a cat that's just left home alone. I don't want to be creepy and you don't have to say yes, but <laughs> I would love um, to extend a room in my home to you. Um, if you wanted to live with me, you could watch my cat and you'd be a huge help for me when I'm out of town, especially during the summer. And I remember my jaw just dropped. I had just put this out in the universe. I had no idea how I was going to possibly find an apartment or a home in Vegas. And right. this opportunity just literally walked up to me at the front desk. And so... I admitted to him that I didn't have the money that he was looking for for rent. I didn't have money for a down, a down deposit. And he looked at me and said, you know, Emma, I don't know you, but I believe in you somehow. There's something about you that um, you have great energy and I would love to give you a month to prove yourself. You don't have to pay me your first month, but I do expect the second month that you have my down deposit and you have your month's rent. Would that work for you? And I was like flabbergasted, you know, a hundred percent that would work for me. And I knew that I would hustle. That was one thing I did know. I knew if somebody gave me a chance that I would come out and I would take the opportunity and run with it. And at the same time, I'm talking to you on the side through messenger. (laughs) And I remember you were connecting me with professionals, you knew who were doing phone call interviews with me. Um, I remember the one company that was opening Dragon Ridge country club, they actually paired a, an interview with me during one of the times that I flew out to train with Professional Fitness Institute and do right. one of their boot camp weeks. And through all of this, I got a yes from everything pretty much that you had <laughs> put yourself on the line on for me. And I got all these incredible offers from people who didn't have a full-time position for me but could offer me a, a day here, a day there. And even at your facility, you had said as soon as – as soon as something opens up or somebody were to leave, you would give me an opportunity. So I ended up working at 24 fitness. I ended up opening up this beautiful country club, um, through the company you and I worked for at WTS international Mm -hmm. dragon Ridge that you kindly put my name in a hat. I think you submitted seven people to Troy over there. Yeah, I did. And I was one of the people that he ended up picking and it was just a very humbling moment for me to, to just realize that, um, if you're not happy with something in your life, we have everything really around us to change it. We just don't always see the signs as they walk up to us. We give up before. Right. Definitely. And when I started being true to myself and actually asking for help and leaning on people like you and saying, Hey, I can't do this by myself. Um, but I really want to do this. What can I do? It's really amazing how many people will reach down, extend a hand and say, hey, I'm here to help you. Um, Thank you for asking me, you know, and so I can't thank you enough for that time in my life. It was the most incredible thing I've ever done for myself to move out of a small town. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done, Um, leaving my family behind and everybody from my grandparents to my little cousins that are all still there. It was a huge life change for me, especially as I said, kind of growing up in a poor family and not having a lot of money or resources to travel and get out there, I felt 
very jaded in a sense as to what else is out there in the world. And right. Being out here in Vegas has been incredibly life changing for me. And like I said, I definitely couldn't have done it without you. And it's crazy to think that that was 10 years ago. That was a long time ago. This is like a love, like a love fest here. I mean, it's like, (laughs) oh, well, you know, it's funny. I know. I like that, man. This is a a good element to have the little ding, ding, ding. I'm all about this. It's the abundance bell. The abundance (laughs) bell. The abundance bell? Yes. Oh, yes. Man. I take it as many places as I can, and I try to get people to ring it. And it's it's a good little icebreaker, and it brings abundance. I love it. (laughs) I am all about that. That's definitely this time of my life I'm about it. We know what's uh, up. It was a pleasure to help you. You know, at that time in my life, I was really, really starting to kick into the whole helping people through networking and, um, you know, I'll say what that other guy said, not being creepy about it. <laughs> I'm like, I just want to help you out. And I had some practice because I had I had, had um, helped Jess Dillon. I don't know if you remember her. Yes, I remember Jess. She was a student of mine in Kansas when I was running the personal training certification program there. And I had opened their their location in Lawrence. And she, like you, she's from a really small town, except in Kansas. And I think she wanted to change her life. She just kind of didn't know how. And when I moved from Kansas to Las Vegas, moved back to Vegas, I said, hey, do you want to, I think I can help get you a job in Las Vegas. And I remember she just took it. She was like, yeah, I want to change my life. And, you know, she didn't end up staying in Vegas, but she ended up moving to like West Palm Beach in Florida. And now she's like a, a hairstylist and she's loving her life and, just and we talked not too long ago and I think I've known her even longer and it was just these moments of taking chances are really important in life I think that's good for everybody to hear it's like you have to take chances in life and you have to expect that you know if you put yourself out there um, good things are are out there for you you have to be willing to have action though with it and uh, so I was fairly like okay I've done this before I'm gonna Emma's like the next person I'm gonna try this with you know (laughs) And it, you know, it was, it was a beautiful thing, you know, and then uh, what was also neat was just, you know, getting to spend the time as I started kind of growing in my networking and then, you know, our time with Connect to Fitness, doing yes, all that. Connect to Fitness. Yeah, it was funny, man. Just all that time together and getting to know a bunch of people and trying to build something. And that time in my life was like a rocket launching time for me. It, it propelled me into what I'm doing now. So um, it, I'm grateful for the experience. Yeah. I am too. And I looked up to you and I still do so much. It, you were one oh, of the first you. people who I saw had a healthy relationship. You had a healthy job relationship. You had this yeah. beautiful work-life balance that I had never met anybody and in, in, saw <laughs> doing that successfully. And all I wanted to know is how is he doing that and how can you teach me how to do that? <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I just, I don't know. It just, it felt like for me, it was just, it was very natural for me. Um, you know, I always like treating people well. Even if I don't talk to somebody for a long time, I just, you know, I want to be good to them. want to connect like we just pick up. Like Yumi, it's not like we're talking all the time or anything. It's just that we pick up, you know, we have these positive relationships with each other. And and sometimes with people, you're just there at certain points in their life to be there for them in a really heavy, you're lifting weights for them really early in their life. And then over time, they, they fly and they become their own thing, you know, and 
and you let them explore and become the person they they feel like they need to be. And then you kind of reconnect. That's kind of my story. I kind of am there for people in a really hardcore way in the beginning. And then I kind of fade a little bit, not like in a bad way. I just kind of like, okay, you're good. Not, not moving on to this. And then we kind of reconnect and I see how they're doing. And uh, it's, it's always worked out pretty successful for me that way. Yeah, I would definitely agree. There's, more than just Jess and I's lives that you changed out here. I've watched you do that for years, and it's one of my favorite love things fest. about you. I know, <laughs> but I love that about you. You've definitely Thank you. you've left an imprint as on me as I mature in my career. That's been something I try to do now for other people, and you really encourage that part in me just to show like how important it is to help people and to give people a chance and to look to look on how you can be that special beacon in somebody's life. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, tell me a little bit about, so you're in Vegas mm -hmm. and, you know, you're starting out, you're doing all these things. And obviously, you know, then you're at Dragon Ridge, you're doing all these jobs. And tell me a little bit about the transition from the early days where it was those jobs to what you started doing afterwards. And maybe I think it's good for people to know what, what was that next phase of your life like, you know, good times, struggles. Tell us about that. It was definitely a struggle for the first couple years. I knew that if I were to get out here, that I would make sure I didn't go back and fail. But the pathway of figuring out who I was going from this small town to a big city and knowing that I wanted to come out of my cocoon and be a butterfly was a very, I don't want to say long experience. It definitely mm -hmm. took me a while, but it took a lot of of healing and, and unearthing who I was because I had kind of lived in a shadow of I didn't play sports. I wasn't involved in many activities. Um, I didn't really know who it was that I was destined to become or who was looking to break out of the shell that I felt and what type of environments I wanted to work in, um, who I wanted to be around. So I worked in some really fast paced environments. Um, the boot camp weeks over at Professional Fitness Institute were a very intense week of work. And I had to also in that time find employers who were willing to give me a whole week off during the month. Um, and being a personal trainer, that's not always easy for clients. Right. So it took a lot of, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to give this a shot. And I'm really going to see where my heart goes and what I gravitate towards. Um, my job at 24 Hour Fitness didn't last very long. The environments I tended to gravitate towards where I loved the soft selling and nurturing environments of the company we worked for, WTS International. Yeah. Um, and I realized that that was more my style was a, a fast paced environment in a very peaceful place. So even though people are working out, they're playing tennis, they're there and they're, they're crushing it. The environment itself felt very spa-like and had this very serene and energetic feel to it that people loved. And I loved that I was able to serve people and not just feel like I was constantly trying to hustle and make a sale. Yeah. And I ended up meeting a lot of people like me and enjoying their company and feeling connected to them. So I started to gravitate towards realizing that I just loved helping people and being in an environment where I had the most access to them in a way that served them and didn't feel like I was always taking from them. Um, from there, 
as I started to grow as an athlete, I started working out more and I found something in 2008 called CrossFit shortly Mm -hmm. after um, I came out here. And I started really doing it, I would say in like 2010 or 2009 and just did it as a hobby a couple days a week and realized, oh my gosh, I've been trying to do a pull up forever and (laughs) I finally did one. I've always wanted to lift really heavy weights, but I couldn't in my gyms. Um, They didn't have squat racks or I wasn't allowed to drop the weights. So I started realizing my, my power as an athlete and how being strong meant a lot more to me and how that's where I wanted my confidence to come from was in how many pounds I'm lifting and how many plates I put on the side of the barbell versus what does the scale say? How do I look in the mirror? Um, for a long time being insecure growing up, I was very hard on myself for how my body looked. I always felt like if I gained weight, it was a bad thing, but I also Mm -hmm. hated being really skinny and seeing fit girls or seeing women that looked, um, a little bit thicker than me. So it was kind of a mindset shift for me to find a confidence that was coming from within and that I didn't need a mirror or a scale to show me and going through that, that physical transformation for me was huge in discovering my confidence. And then from there transferring it into my career where instead of just being a personal trainer, working under your guidance and the guidance of other people in our company, I started being really curious about being a leader and thinking, wow, what if I could show other people or grow other people under me um, as employees to feel this way and to want to pass this gift on, you know, and being around so many leaders that you become who you hang out with. So I think I cultivated a lot of confidence being around people like you and like Troy and Alan. And from there, under you guys, you guys grew me into, I think, being one of the youngest assistant directors in the company over at Dragon Ridge. Yeah. And that was probably my first experience with really opening up my eyes to, oh, my gosh, you know, I can do anything I want as long as I'm working under integrity, getting my work done, working hard and asking people for help and in telling people and expressing that I want to keep growing and learning. So that's really where um, I think my biggest breakthrough was as a professional was getting an opportunity to be a leader in an industry that's typically led by more men. And that's not because I think that that's changed a lot now, but I think like even 10 years ago, women were just starting to think about lifting heavy weights and being trainers. So it was really cool to, to see that I could do that with some hard work and consistency and, um, and being loyal to people who gave me my chances. Um, and then from there, um, I moved completely out of working for the company WTS International mm-hmm. and I took a risk and I opened up two CrossFit gyms out here with two different companies and got really into that aspect of it. Um, at the time, it was a super hot, and I think it still is pretty trendy, but way back then, yeah. especially, it was a huge trend. It was blowing up out here in Vegas. And yeah, definitely. I knew I just wanted to be on kind of the cutting edge of that and um, explore intensity for once. Um, from there, too, that led me to also wanting to find peace. 
So I think during all that, Mm. all that music, all the loud music, the intensity, (laughs) I felt at sometimes um, very anxious and like I couldn't settle down and being in a really loud gym and working with all of uh, kind of the louder athletes and in a more intense environment. um, I ended up learning about um, meditation and yoga through those practices because it was very opposite. Right. And so that was kind of when I started thinking and questioning, all right, this physical thing is great. And I think I have that down. Like I'm in the best shape of my life. My clients, a lot of them are in the best shape, but there's just still something wrong. Like why are some of these people working out all the time yet? You know, they're, <laughs> They're crushing it. They're eating good, but they're still not losing weight. They're still really stressed. They're miserable. Like there's got to be something else to it. Right. And that was when I discovered um, I was still part-time at Dragon Ridge doing just personal training um, during a lot of my CrossFit journey. And I met a fascial stretch therapist there who I think you had hired also. Yes. Yeah. And that really brought together and showed me and taught me how our emotions affect our body and how the tissue in our body works in conjunction with the things that we think about and the emotions that we carry with that and the stories and how, how different things can manifest in our body through energy, essentially, that just gets stuck there. And no matter how much you work out, you can eat as good as you want, but if you're not really doing some of that inner work um, and looking inside, it's, it's a lot more challenging to get from point A to point B. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, when I came across uh, fascial stretch therapy, which I love, I think it's awesome. Um, I was like, you know, this is different. This is, this is something, you know, when, when CrossFit and all that was coming out, it wasn't necessarily like surprising to me uh, because I, I had known intensity most of my life and training and stuff. It was different a little bit, but I had never known really calmness in, in relation to um, rela- related to the, the choreography, the understanding of <clears throat> movement of the body in a way that fascial stretch therapy does. And I thought, man, this is going to be big, you know, once it, uh, really gets out there to people. And uh, I think it's something that once people do, they really like, wow, this is amazing. This really feels good. Um, and and I've always used it with my clients that, you know, in conjunction with their training and it's always gone well, but I think it's interesting for you that you're, you're always kind of manifesting to the next stage of your growth and, the, and development through your career with that. And uh, I think that's interesting. So I'd, I'd love to hear more about that as you, Continue. So at this point, were you because, you know, I wasn't super connected with you so much during this time I mean, here and there. But so when you're doing you're doing CrossFit, you know, spatial stretch therapy, there is. So what was the point? Were you like planning to not do CrossFit and just do stretch? Where, what was the transition during that time? Take us through that. Good question. I really got into I've, I went no and nosedived straight into CrossFit and mm-hmm. as I was getting more into fascial stretch therapy for me going and experiencing the workshops was really groundbreaking but really the thing for me that that helped create yet another breakthrough and realizing there's a lot more to this wellness paradigm than I thought was um the results manifest themselves and be cultivated in the clients I was working on. Hmm. 
I started working with a group of triathletes out here and CrossFit athletes. Um, for whatever reason, that was the demographic that gravitated towards me. And um, it was very humbling to see that this, that this gentle practice of, uh, I heard it called a couple times, lazy man's yoga, which I think is kind of accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Through being able to guide somebody with them just laying on a table and breathing and you taking their body and moving these long chains of muscle that go from their head to their toes. And it's almost like a dance that you do. And during that time you're releasing a lot of things that they're not able to tap into during their high intensity training, during the hours of swimming and biking and crossfitting. Um, there's just so much junk that we, that we carry in our joints and in our tissues and seeing that and, statistically at that time there was only a couple of therapists in Las Vegas doing what I was doing and mm-hmm. CrossFit was really growing so I felt that as a CrossFit professional unless I wanted to open up my own gym I had kind of tapped out my I don't want to say potential because I still could have grown as a coach and I was passionate about it yeah but I felt like taking this leap of faith and jumping more into fascial stretch therapy was going to be something that for me um would be a little bit more groundbreaking and would help impact people a little bit more than what I was able to do in the gym. Interesting. Very interesting. I think that's an interesting way of, I would say, looking at it because I think that, um, you know, sometimes I think when we start doing certain things we say, you know, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to ride with this thing. This is my thing, you know, and you get knee deep in something. I'm just going to keep going with it until the wheels fall off. And it feels like, you know, for what I'm hearing from you and what I've seen from you in your life is you definitely go in on things, but you're also like, okay, there's, there may be something else beyond this. And so it seems like you were, you were starting to see that. And that was starting to move in this different direction. A hundred percent. And everything, everything that transitioned from one step to another was just building. So I never felt like I was losing on something. I, I yeah. kept thinking, well, now I have all this I have all this knowledge from an athletic perspective and as a coach Mm -hmm. and training people years of doing this. Now I can talk that lingo with my clients on the table and help them and be able to speak their language, but also be able to give them something that they can't get from any other coach or from any other trainer out here and take them to the next level. And it was really cool watching some of my triathletes um, and even CrossFit athletes go from being debilitated and barely able to walk to finishing these incredible races and doing these very superhuman things. That's awesome. That's really great. So I remember when you got into stretch therapy and I was like, Oh, that's great. Emma's doing that. And so take me through, and this is probably the part where people (laughs) and we're like cannabis, uh, (laughs) I know. <laughs> Take me th- because it's funny. So this is a good story. This is funny. So everybody listening, uh, you know, when you know somebody for a long time, you don't always know everything about them. Uh, clearly, you can you can be married to somebody for a long time and not know everything about them. You know, and I, I mean, I would say my wife knows everything about me. I'm very transparent and I bring people around all the time. I'm always on the phone. I always tell her what I'm doing. But uh, one time, Emma and I, she's probably going to laugh at this. Uh, we, were at, we were at my house, and I used to throw, like, these big cocktail parties. You know yeah. where this is going, right? I yeah. know where this is going. You know where this is going, right? And I love making cocktails. I still do. I brought my bar with me from Vegas to Washington State, the whole deal. 
and uh emma comes by and you know she's having drinks i'm making her drinks and you know and then we start we start smoking some weed you know <laughs> yes. emma was she was definitely high and she ate all of my daughter's <laughs> mac and cheese the entire bowl she had the munchies like crazy and can i get an abundance bell for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it was funny when that was I one saw of my Emma, favorite memories. Oh man. When I saw Emma smoking weed, and maybe she saw me smoking weed too, <laughs> something changed in me about Emma because you don't always know. And I said, Wow, Emma smokes weed. I did not know that. And I think and under my I had this opinion of you that, you know, because you had, had done, you know, you had some like you said, I mean self-proclaimed drug use issues many, many years ago when you're growing up and stuff and some hardcore things that in you, you just didn't do anything like at all. I was like, Oh, Emma doesn't do anything, you know? And, uh, I think a lot of people thought for me, like, Oh, Darian, he doesn't, he's very straight laced. He doesn't do anything, you know? And it was like that moment of smoking with you. Like it made me so happy. I was so pumped. And then I was like, man, she's eating all the mac and cheese. What's, what's going on here, man? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the magic of the herb. Yeah, the magic of the herb gives you the magic of the munchies. The magic and... of the munchies and those cocktails too. Just all of it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Get enough of that mac and cheese. I was a big. Yeah, I'm a big crossfader. Like I, you know, you know, I like drinking and smoking. Not drinking too much, but just you know enough. I like to cross it up. And it was just, cra I was dying. I was cracking up so much. And, uh, and it, was, it was just so fun. It was such a pleasant memory. So that leads us into cannabis. And so tell me about that. Well, one, before getting into that, <laughs> what was, what do you think people's relationship with, you know, cannabis is at this point? I think it's a hot button topic. It's getting a lot better. I think, you know, the world's changing. But at that time, what were you facing related to that? You know, I would have to say that just like how that moment with you, um, I realized that participating and consuming cannabis with people had this very different vibe than just drinking alcohol. There's very yeah. few people that you can drink alcohol with and almost feel like you're high and be all giggly and laughing. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people drink alcohol and they might be fun for a little bit, but a couple of drinks later, they're kind of in a dark place and things get a little <laughs> bit dark, you know? And yeah, it can be. Yeah. yeah. Or somebody gets in a fight with somebody and <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen when you're drinking alcohol. But That's true. For some reason, just ever since I was, I think the first time I ever smoked weed was when I was 13. And every time that, and it was with my brother. So we've always had this really special connection since then. He got me high my first time. And um, it was <laughs> another magical moment that it's like. Wonderful. You bond with people in a different way. So yeah, I had always done it um, without really telling people. That was something else I was a little bit ashamed of. I I knew a lot of people that had anxiety like me and suffered from depression and trying to, in a sense, cultivate self-worth and self-love. And I knew I wasn't the only one that struggled with that, but I felt like we did something for me that um, depression pills never did, anxiety pills. I just could never take them and feel good. They always made me feel almost a little bit worse. And so I kind of felt doing something that wasn't legal I felt very uncomfortable talking to people about it. I felt like people would judge me. Yeah. Um, I was pretty straight edge for a while. I quit drinking uh, once I moved out here because 
it was such a big part of my life in high school. And through kind of detoxing my mind, I decided to put my body through a detox too. And being around a lot of healthy people, it wasn't super hard to not drink a ton. Yeah. Um, and around that time that you were getting into cocktails, I was starting to incorporate that into my life a little bit more. I remember we would go to brunches all the time and have, Oh my gosh, brunch, <laughs> that was awesome. biggest brunch hunters. Remember that? Oh my God, Emma, <laughs> I have to bring this story up because I am super honest on this podcast, all the shows. <laughs> so one time Emma and I, we went to, I think it was that border grill. Yeah. It was oh, border that place grill. was bomb. Oh, man. This is like, if you're in Vegas, it's still awesome. I've been there so not good. too long ago. But I think it was like early when they opened, and they had like $8 all-you-could-drink mimosas. And I got <laughs> destroyed with Emma so at this place, man. I mean, I had like 15 mimosas. I Didn't was you sleep like, in your car? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was at the Mandalay Bay. Yeah. And I was, you know, there was no Uber back then and stuff. You know, I was like, man, what am I doing? And I was just sloppy walking through, like, man. And listen, if you've never been to Vegas, nobody cares if you're sloppy when you're walking through the hotel. You're, you're, you look like a lot of other people when you're walking through there. A hundred percent. You know, right? And, uh, oh, my gosh, I got to my truck, and I took a four-hour nap in my car. Because, yeah, abundance, Bell, yes, yes. <laughs> abundance for safety. I was like, safety first. And I just passed out in the – Believe me, in the parking garage in Vegas is one of the best places to pass out in your car because they don't check. You can be there literally all night. It's, I mean, it's a degenerate place. I mean, it's just – but that was fun. You know, we were going to all these brunch places, but I digress. But, man, that was – I got roughed up a few times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, you know, it happens. Oh, my gosh. And all the food. Do you remember how full we would get? All the food. We get super full. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Wow. I was just like, wow, this is gluttony to the <laughs> degree. A hundred percent. But wouldn't you agree that drinking is so much more socially acceptable than if I were to have randomly asked you to go smoke a joint with me? Yeah. No, I, you know, I wouldn't have done it back then because I... Uh, during that time, I think I, I was like a lot of people. I had a stigma about it. And, you know, you started early in life. I didn't start smoking until I was like 35 years old. Like it hit me like late in life. And, you know, it was like my, this is funny. My buddy Jason got me into it. Oh yeah. He's, Jason. Jason was like, Hey man, this is, it's not a big deal. You should try it. And I tried it and I was like, what have I, what I'm just like everybody else. I've been thinking this thing that's super wrong about this and i think it's the advertising the marketing throughout the years you know like for me like back in the 80s and stuff it was like oh this is your brain on drugs and though this is what like oh if you smoke weed like you're a loser you're lazy i i know so many people that smoke weed that are some of the most ambitious people i've ever met in my life they're not stoners they're not losers they're not just laying in a basement playing nba 2k i mean there are people who do that <laughs> but i don't i don't know those people you know so a hundred percent and learning about and actually realizing at some point i think it's something we all forget it's a plant yes and we get so caught up calling it a drug that we just automatically throw it in that pile with other things such as cocaine and heroin and cracky. Yes. Yes. And at the end of the day, this is a naturally growing plant that exists in nature. And it's something that for generations and generations and hundreds of years have has been used as a very spiritual practice for people and for he deep healing. And when I started to 
start experimenting a little bit with um, being more open with it with people because at that time too in Vegas, it was the medical market also was starting to be talked about and it was Mm. a little bit more of a conversation piece out here and not working for a corporation at the time. I was working for myself doing fascial stretch therapy and helping out a little bit with CrossFit. I felt like I could be a little bit more myself without being judged or having to risk losing a job. Right. And that was really um, one of my favorite things about jumping into an entrepreneurship position was it gave me the ability to, um, I might not have been managing other people, but I really got to manage myself and think, okay, what do I really want to stand for? And what are some things that I want to talk about? And most of the stuff I've done is controversial. So would it really be that surprising to people to learn <laughs> that I, that I smoke weed too? Yeah. So, and that was something that the more I started talking about it and even with you, you know, it was, I remember you were like, Emma, you smoke weed. Like that's fucking cool. Yeah. I just didn't, I did. I couldn't imagine it. I don't know. It's just like, and every, and we're out there. There are a lot of people out there that are doing it that you have, you would never think they'd be doing it. And I think it's just kind of, it has turned, it has turned from an underground conversation to a national conversation among a lot of people. And I just think it's pretty common now. And, you know, it still, it cracks me up. Like the other day I was talking to somebody and they were like, well, I don't do drugs. And I'm like, you're drinking alcohol. You're doing drugs right now. What are you talking about? You know, it's like, we have this stigma, like we put this on things. And then I think for me, it's like, once I started doing weed, I was like, man, smoking weed. I was like, I'm going to try edibles that I'm not too into. I mean, it, it, it jacks me up pretty bad. Uh, but <laughs> I don't want to be high for eight hours. It just, and then I was like, I mean, I was eating like crazy. I mean, it was just, it's, it's a little too much for me, honestly. Uh, I can't handle the edibles, but every once in a while I take a 10 milligram and didn't you say you did like a hundred milligram pill one time or something like that? Or... Oh my gosh. That was, that's crazy. Yes. I had a friend that brought that lived in Colorado that visited and weed was legal there. And he brought me back um, what I now know as a Chiba chew. Yeah. It's this little tiny, uh, it's not even more than like two of your knuckles on your finger. It's this little yeah. gummy. And now they've, the laws have changed where that brand has to dose it in 10 milligram pieces. Right. You can't get it in large amounts like that anymore. Right. A hundred percent. But back it's then, too much. It yeah. was too much. I, I found <laughs> out after I took it that it was a hundred milligram edible and I was lit. I was literally seeing shit coming out of my door. I was, seeing, <laughs> I was seeing shadows floating. I was scared out of my mind for about eight hours thinking, I think I'm about to go to the hospital. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have to call 911. And I'm like, no, you can't overdose on weed. You know that, Emma. You're good. But it was pretty much eight hours of hell for me. It was the entire night. (laughs) I was thinking, I'm just going to take this edible and go to sleep. And No. (laughs) No. I had never taken that much ever before. I think the most I'd ever taken in an edible was like 20 milligrams or something. And I was popping down 100 at once. My heart was racing. (laughs) I'm seeing the girl from The Ring coming out of a sweater that was on my door. Like it was a horrible experience. Oh, wow. It's kind of funny how ironically now, all these years later, I'm selling edibles. um, Yes. Which is funny, but I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I see a very purposeful um, part of edibles for people who either can't or don't want to smoke. 
or who can't or don't want to be quite as um, obvious about their choice of cannabis. So (laughs) there are a lot of really attractive and normal options for people. Chocolate bars, brownies. um, Those are things I think that normalize it to some people. Right. And it's a little bit less intimidating than trying to smoke or, or dab or you know, take a hit, a, a rip out of a bong. So, oh my, you know, I just started doing, I mean, I sound like a degenerate, but what, what did you do? No, I you just don't. started awesome. doing the water bong. Yeah. And uh, I did the water bong like a couple <laughs> weeks ago. No, no, a month ago. It was too harsh for me. I mean, it was, it like blew me to pieces. <laughs> like, I mean, I was like, I was a mess. And, uh, you know what I figured out? Like, I, I mean, you can talk more about this. Obviously, you know, all this stuff, but I found that smoking's my thing. Like, and I'm not like a, a small smoker. Like when I, I don't smoke that much when I do, like, I'm a, like a gigantic volume smoker, like, like blunts. I mean, I'm, I'm going like 30, 40 hits, man. Like just going nuts. And, uh, it doesn't do anything for me unless I have heavy volume, but then like the edibles, it scares me because it feel, it feels like it's a completely different version of, of cannabis. It doesn't feel the same to me. And I think in the body, it's, it's actually a little different. Um, I don't know, but I heard that, but it's, uh, I, I can't do the edibles. It's a uh, hundred milligrams. Honestly, <laughs> I don't even know what would happen to me if I did. I did 35 one time and I started doing snow angels on the ground <laughs> and I couldn't move. My wife had to like physically carry me and put me in a car. Michelle. I mean, it could have been like the four or five cocktails I had with it. Uh, but cause I, I you know, I digress, but anyways, I think it's a big conversation. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, that led me into my path of like, you know, what else is out there? And then I think as we're starting to see the decriminalization, decriminalization of things like uh, psychedelic drugs, and I started doing mushrooms and, you know, I really researched it though and stuff. And, and I felt like, especially doing mushrooms, that changed my life completely. That was like a before mushrooms, after mushrooms, life altering experience. So just talk a little bit about how what you're seeing out there now with cannabis and different drugs that maybe the national consciousness of it is changing. I love how you brought up mushrooms. That's something that's become increasingly fascinating to me. Also, these last, I would say three years since I've gotten to cannabis, um, a lot of people I've met in the cannabis industry are very avid believers in microdosing psychedelics and Mm. using psychedelics for its healing properties. Again, it's a plant. Um, Right. And I think that's going to be the next wave of what we see becoming more mainstream and more of what we're going to see in legislation of people wanting to use psychedelics and magic mushrooms for medicine instead of traditional therapy and pills. Um, you're very right about cannabis. That's one of the things I hear a lot of people come up to me and say, God, I hate weed. I took this edible once and I had a bad experience. And it's kind of sad that people quit after that because it's very similar to anything else. You know, you can get medicine in the form of a cough syrup. You can get a cream on your body. You can go to a doctor and get a pill. There's a lot of ways in Western medicine that we consume medicine and we typically don't stop until we find the right one. And with edibles, it's your intestines and your stomach and sometimes your liver and those different organs that digest it. So depending on the absorption of your body, if there's some people I've met that can have a thousand milligram edibles and not feel anything, it's crazy. Other people have 10 and they really feel it. And it's, 
it's really depends on how those organs um, are able to, to digest the active ingredients in what you're eating. And it varies person to person. Right. Um, I'm very sensitive to edibles too. And just like you, I can smoke like a chimney and be totally fine. <laughs> and that's because when you smoke, you're, you're inhaling and the THC goes straight into your bloodstream. So it's not dependent on your organs to digest it. So right. the high is a lot less. It's about 90 minutes or less when you smoke. Um, and with edibles, like you said, it can be up to eight hours, which can be a little bit daunting for people. So even though smoking Oof. can can seem more daunting to a person because we typically associate smoking with um, things like cigarettes. There is actually a lot of research showing that smoking weed, especially if you use a hemp paper or if you're using, let's just say a water bong where you don't have any paper, um, there's different ways to, to use these modalities um, to, to more experiment. And there's actually no research showing that it causes the same lung damage and the same damage to your body that, that smoking a cigarette would because you're ingesting something completely different. Right. Um, so it can be very different. And on my quest in experimenting with cannabis, I also discovered that I love edibles, if, especially if, I'm, if I know I'm going to have trouble sleeping and I have a long night where I can sleep. I'll sometimes pop one or... You know, if I'm going to be out all day and I'm feeling a little bit anxious, I love microdosing and even just taking like a two to five milligram edible, just something to take the edge off a little bit and um, help my physiology, my heart rate come down and um, my mood soften and to just feel calmer and more confident. But it is very easy to overdo it. And (laughs) yes, right. And during this quest... (laughs) I started playing around with mushrooms too. And I was studying Tim Ferriss, who's a very well-known influencer who is a huge advocate of it. And I found a couple other people in his circle that were talking about it more mainstream and learning that there's actually science going behind learning about these plants and their, um, and their benefits. So I started microdosing with mushrooms. I did about a six month experiment on myself a couple years Mm -hmm. ago where every three days I would take either a small cap or a small stem. And I learned the amount that I needed for me to where I had no head change. Everything I saw in my reality was not uh, morphed into, you know, some visual or a psychedelic experience. Yeah. I was fully functional. It created this experience in my body, however, where for about a period of three to four hours when I would microdose, I could feel serotonin and dopamine just pumping through my body and I didn't have to do anything to experience that, just taking that. And so I wasn't blocking it or having, taking a pill that produced it um, artificially. I felt my body actually producing these very good feeling hormones and I would feel amazing having conversations with people. I was more present. And by the end of that six months, my goal was, when I was done experimenting that I could tap into that when I wasn't consuming the mushrooms and say, if Mm. I had a bad day, instead of letting it affect me for a couple hours, I could tap right into that feeling that I got taking the mushrooms and experience this very euphoric feeling in my body without having to take a single thing, except um, what I was feeding my brain and where I let my intentions go. 
And just like you, it was an extremely life-changing experience just being able to um, go through that change and and realize that you really don't have to depend on different medications. You know, nature's our medicine, and a lot of these things we can cultivate on our own with practice. And I'd love to hear your experience. I didn't know you were shrimming out over there. Yeah, yeah. I, I've only done it one time. And uh, but it was a thing that was so jarring that, uh, it, you know, I felt for me like mushrooms is not a thing more like like cocktails. I like having cocktails. So I go, oh, yeah, I like having a drink here, here and there. Like I, during dinner and stuff, I, I kind of like want to have something fairly regularly. Like, oh, I just enjoy the social nature of it, especially these days. Like when I did mushrooms, I was like, man, I can't do this again for a while. Like this is a, I have to really like reflect on this for a while. And um, I think it was the, it was the nature aspect of it that changed. Like I'd never been in the nature. Like when I was growing up, I was like, eh, whatever. And my wife, as you know, she's very nature oriented. She's really into like the planet and sustainability. And I just never jived with that. I was like, yeah, that's her thing. You know, it's not my thing, whatever. And after I did mushrooms, I was completely turned into that way that she was. It made us closer. Our marriage has always been really good, but it got even better after that. And I felt more relaxed and I felt more in tune with the planet. And I started seeing the planet in a different way. And then it made me realize that one of the biggest things I was missing in my life was water. I felt like I needed to live near water. It centered me. It was always a centering thing for my daughter to be around water. And that was a big reason why I left Las Vegas. I wanted to be around water more often. And we live right near the beach because of that. And it's uh, and it was because of the drug I took, literally. Wow. Was, that was one of the biggest reasons. And obviously I have my, my new business and stuff, and that's part of it. But, I, you know, moving up here, a large part of me, the, the thought process of wanting to start that started with, uh, taking mushrooms and uh, I do want to do it again it's just that uh, I'm up here now I honestly don't know where to get it that's the honest truth I don't know where to get it up here I have to figure that out but I do want to get some maybe you can help me out Washington people <laughs> listen up somebody <laughs> needs to help me get mushrooms soon <laughs> um, and I think that's you know that was that that experience was just so jarring touching the ground feeling it the earth touch me back and accepting me and realizing I am just a tiny pebble in this gigantic universe. And it was just, it was, it was amazing. And I, you know, I think when, after I did it, I was, I was afraid to tell people that I did it because I thought, what are they going to think about me? Like, you know, I have this very successful business and job and I'm, you know, people see me this way. And then I remember I was like, I don't care. I really don't care. So I just started telling people and everybody I told wanted to do mushrooms. They were like, you know what? I was thinking myself, like, maybe I should try it. You know, it's like people want to do it. They're just afraid of the outcome from other people, not 100%. necessarily the drug. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. A lot of people have, and it's sad because it's like how you said, you know, there's somebody can tell you that, that you're a drug user by taking mushrooms or yeah. smoking weed while their medicine cabinets are filled with Xanax and, <laughs> you know, all these different pills. Yeah. Um, and they're eating McDonald's at the same time and smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and, you know, it's like we're so conditioned to think drugs are the opposite of the things that actually are drugs, which a lot of those things we're consuming every day food that's not good for us and pills you know 
the real drug war is in our fast food joints and in our medicine cabinet, not in a right. joint and not in the ground. No, not at all. And I, I think so. I was fascinated when you were moving into this business and I was like, man, this is a thing, man. This, it's happening. And uh, so I wanted to, and then the next thing I saw you were doing was this, uh, I, I'm probably going to get it wrong. Like the beer, was it two roots brewing and the cannabis beer or CBD beer? Tell me, tell us a little bit about that because those, those are two of my passions, uh, booze and uh, cannabis. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Um, my company, Silver State Wellness here in Nevada is also, um, we have our headquarters in San Diego, but San Diego up until very recently was a illegal market and Nevada mm -hmm. popped first. So my San Diego team decided to create and buy licenses here in Nevada first. We'd get established in Nevada. When California was more stable, we'd duplicate it, which is what we're in the process of doing now. So right. we have a dispensary cultivation and production license out here. So we have the full trifecta and are vertically integrated. And for the last four years, um, my amazing CEO, Michael Hayford, he's had this dream that beverages were going to be the future of cannabis. And back then, especially four years doesn't seem like that long ago, but this was when cannabis was even very weird to talk about. And things like smoking and edibles were mostly what people were familiar with. And that's what people were assuming was going to keep being the trend where um, my CEO kept saying, you know, no, one day there's going to be lounges, there's going to be bars. And when you go to those bars, do you think you're going to be eating a chocolate bar with your friends? No, you're going to be sharing a cannabis beverage or a cannabis cocktail or a canagar, a very upscale canagar. And that's going to be how we socialize in the future. And then he hmm. had said topicals, and that was very new too, putting CBD or THC into a lotion or cream right. and putting it on your body. And he said something that people do every day, and that's going to be a huge trend. So his vision was always beverages and skincare and topicals and medicated products for your skin. And we weren't able to come up with those formulations. Um, if you read the news now, there's still a lot of like Marlboro's getting in the game. Blue Moon is coming out with a beer. There's a lot of it's a I think like an eight billion dollar industry right now. The wow. the craft beer and cannabis industry. So during these last four years, we have invested almost all of our time and money into creating a perfect formulation of the first alcohol free cannabis infused beer um whether that's thc cbd or a mixture of the two so there's no sorry so there's no there's the abv is zero 100 percent. but the what's the thc in it the thc we decided to come out with first and we're gonna play around with different percentages um the way we wanted to have the product come out to the market and we were the first. We beat all the other companies, which is cool. We were the underdog. And right here in Nevada, we launched the world's first cannabis beer, which is really fun, cool. Um, but essentially what the vision was, um, was to give an option to cannabis consumers to play on the same field and to have the same social experience as somebody consuming alcohol. And mm. typically when you're drinking a craft beer, you're not drinking, you know, 100% alcohol um beer you're not chugging unless you know some people do but 
We usually don't go buy a bottle of Jack and just sit there and chug it. We make a cocktail no. with it, right? Right. And that's really become how we socialize. And most people that are responsible with it know right where their boundaries are. And typically right. with beer, we can have multiple beers. We share beers over picnics, over football games, memories. There's a lot of places where beer is a very social part of the experience. And I even know for me, if I think about weddings or if I think about some of my most special moments, I can almost always remember what I was making, um, what I was making a toast to, and what I was holding to make the toast, whether <laughs> yep. it was wine or a cocktail or a beer. Yeah. And so there was a heavy demand, and there still is for a very THC heavy product. And right now, that's what the market wants. Um, at this point, the market's very. Uh, what is the most THC I can get for the lowest dollar? Mm. But for us, it was how do we take a six pack of of cannabis beer and have that person experience the same type of experience as somebody that has a six pack of Budweiser or Coors. So we decided to come out with a 5% or a five milligram THC drink that okay. has zero alcohol, half the calories of a regular beer. And the cool thing about it is we developed over the last four years um, a nano emulsion technology where the product kicks in hard and fast in 10 minutes or less. And just like a regular beer, it leaves your body. The effects leave your body in 90 minutes or less. So you're, hmm. not, you're not stuck waiting to feel how you're going to uh, be affected by the high <laughs> in a half hour to an hour. You're also not over medicating by having a hundred milligrams in a small container. Yeah. And um, you're not stuck with an eight-hour high. It starts absorbing in your mouth and your mucosal membranes on the way down. So it's in your bloodstream versus relying on your organs like a, a normal edible would. So right. it's a very interesting and revolutionary way to consume cannabis because now cannabis consumers can, whether they like the taste of beer or not, not everybody in the cannabis industry does. A lot of people don't drink alcohol. But right. it still offers an option um, when we're the ones at Super Bowl or at Thanksgiving or at these different special events. And we're the only ones without a drink on our hands saying, I'll be right back. I'm going to go take a walk when we're actually in the bathroom with the fan on, smoking our vape pen or going in the back yeah. and lighting up a joint. Yeah. You know, and we miss out on a lot of those memories with people because our method of consumption is is offensive to them. And we don't want to offend yeah. them by smelling like smoke or taking an edible or even taking an edible and having to worry about crap. Is this going to knock me out in 90 minutes? What am I going to feel? <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to create a product with a milligram amount that would match the experience of somebody having a 5% um, ABV beer. I see. I um, see. That makes a lot of sense to me. Cause you know, I was very like curious and I was like, I'll wait till this podcast. I think I'll get the most information because I gotta tell you, that's this sounds amazing to me. Like I'm sitting here, like, how do I get this? I need to get some of this. I need to figure out how to how to imbibe this. Because I I like drinking beer with dinner, or you know, especially up in Washington. There's such a huge beer culture up here. It's monstrous, and there's like 17 breweries in the town over. Yeah, it's what? ridiculous. It's like crazy amounts of beer. But it's also one of these states that first adopted you know legalization of marijuana. Like back with like Colorado. So uh, I think there's a real market for it up here, but I was just like, man, how do we get, how do I get my hands on this? <laughs> you know? Well, if you know of anybody um, in the cannabis industry looking to expand, we're definitely yeah. looking for partners in every state. Um, 
but that should hopefully be something if you guys don't already have an option like that. Um, I know we're working on finding a good partner in that state and we want to be in every state. Um, I just believe that being able to provide somebody who consumes cannabis or even somebody who doesn't something that will replicate an experience that they're familiar with. That's always the best way to introduce it, not just to society, but to people very timid and scared of cannabis. You know, if you hand somebody a beer, it's so much less intimidating than handing them a joint. And they're used to it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the beer actually tastes like beer. It's made craft and we own the rights to this amazing, massive piece of equipment that um, we're the only ones in the world that have other than the company that made it for us. Where when you dealkalize beer traditionally, it ends up having a flavor like O'Doul's where some yeah. people enjoy that and still consume it, but it tastes very watery and without flavor. I hate O'Doul's. A hundred percent. And that was my main worry selling and bringing these products to the market was having to potentially stamp my name on something that didn't taste good or didn't, um, didn't represent the beer quality that a beer consumer would look for in a cannabis product. So the piece of equipment that we have can actually take the alcohol out without stripping the beer of all of its flavor. So from start to finish, it still tastes craft and there's five different styles and they're the number one beverage seller out here in Nevada, which is really awesome. It's amazing. So if you're, so you have to be in Las Vegas, right? To to actually consume this, what you're saying. Correct. In Nevada, we have a couple stores in Reno that carry it. There's a couple mm-hmm. on the out, outskirts of Las Vegas. There's a, a dispensary in Mesquite that carries it, one in Pahrump. Um, But right now, Nevada, and I believe we just launched in a few dispensaries in San Diego as well. I see. So wow, this is incredible. Also. It's incredible. Like, I think it's going to change the way we hang out and we party. You know, I could see a lot of my friends going, you know, I – you know, I, I don't want to have that feeling of drinking alcohol and, you know, like I want to have the feeling of uh, the THC feeling related to, you know, if I'm smoking, but I don't want to smoke. And like to me, I would totally be into this. I'd be at a bar and be like, I'll definitely take, you know, one of these, maybe two or three and then, you know, stop at that. But I, I could definitely see, especially if it gave me that feeling. Of, so how do when you have it, how do you feel like what's the feeling you get when you've had when you drink the beer? It feels honestly like a cross between taking a hit of a vape pen or taking, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just a hit of weed, uh, smoking it and, um, almost drinking a beer. Honestly, the buzz is, (laughs) it's very different. It has, it doesn't feel like a normal edible. It's a little more uplifting and energizing and, Weirdly, um, the company, the beer company that we own is called Two Roots, and that's because we use the hops root and the cannabis root. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that the hops root from beer actually carries a lot of the same traits and characteristics of the cannabis plant. Hmm. So when those come together, the high is very different than anything else that you'll have with just weed because the hops plant comes with its own medicinal health benefits without the alcohol it has its own essential oils naturally mixed in the formula and when you add thc to it you feel a similar high as if you took a hit of a vape pen 
but it also feels slightly like you're drinking alcohol. So hmm. I've heard from a lot of people who don't, don't consume cannabis that they really enjoy the way the beer makes them feel because for whatever reason, it feels a little bit similar to getting a buzz off of a couple of beers too. Huh? Wow. <clears throat> well, now I have to try it. And when I I'm in Vegas next, hopefully next month, <clears throat> I'll be back there or uh, August for sure. I have to do this. I, I like, I have to try it. We uh, are because... so sharing a drink whenever you come. That was oh, man. so memorable drink. for me. <laughs> you know, see, it's funny with me. Like, I'll do that. But there's part of me like, I got to smoke too while I'm at it. I don't know. I might have to do both. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> like, we'll smoke a joint and drink a beer. It'll be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be like an amazing combination. And uh, this is cool stuff, Emma. I mean, I think you've you've just moved into an area that I think is really going to be gigantic. I think it's just a matter of time before it's literally everywhere. You know, things take, take time <clears throat> from state to state. But then I just saw an article yesterday that Nevada is becoming the first state. I don't know if you saw this, that employers cannot refuse hiring an employee if they test positive for marijuana. Isn't that system. amazing? That's like incredible. Like what's, you know, I never understood why there was an issue with it because like people are drinking beer and having cocktails. Why don't you stop that? Or you know, taking my, pills, right? Pills, right? They're going to work all high on pills and stuff like, but marijuana is the enemy. No, of course it's not. So I thought that was amazing. And I think it's just the beginning. And Nevada, I think Nevada's doing great things, I think with weed, but I always thought they would because it's especially Las Vegas. It's Vegas. It's a city of taking chances, doing new things. And it seems like an exciting time. A hundred percent. And that's one of the things that I really want to stress for your listeners listening who are either cannabis consumers or interested. Um, CBD is probably the, the thing that most people have the greatest access to, but right. it's still a very unregulated industry. Same thing with THC. And a lot of states aren't as regulated as Nevada. Um, for example, Every product that you'll get on a dispensary shelf in Nevada has been tested by our state three times. At least you can get all the paperwork showing exactly what's in it. Um, it, has right. to, it has to pass certain pesticide levels, metals, um, mold. There's all these different, all these different loops and hoops that these plants have to go through from um, being grown until they're produced, whether an edible or, you know, flower to smoke. And it's a very legit industry out here with, you know, exactly what you're getting when it's on the shelf. Um, yeah. I, I hear from people out of state say, God, I tried CBD and it just didn't work for me. And mm. everybody's different. But if you're buying your CBD off Amazon or from just a normal grocery store that doesn't have the same regulations, we've personally tested a bunch of brands off places like Amazon and from different states and found that the label sometimes says 500 milligrams of active CBD and you measure it and you get it actually tested by um, the state and they say, no, this has about 10 milligrams of CBD in it. Wow. And, Jeez. Right. And there's no law right now regulating that. So a lot of people are still being led down the wrong path. And being and being given these false um, experiences that aren't regulated in a sense, and that's another thing I'm trying to fight for is helping educate people 
on where to get products if you're looking for them and um, how to kind of decipher the good from the bad. And the best place you can start is looking for brands that are produced and sold online, which is the best for most people, CBD, um, from a state that's regulated and actually seeing and contacting them and asking um, for those test results because by law they have to give them to you. Wow. Yeah, this this is great information and so much stuff I didn't know. And I, I knew you were knee deep in this. You get knee deep in anything you get into. <laughs> you so got I want to, to right? Know, you have to, you have to. So, <laughs> you know, the Emma story is one of transformation and moving into different things and trying things. Do you feel like this is something you're going, this is a long-term play for you, or do you feel a transformation into something else eventually? You know, I see a lot of the things I've done in the past start to blend themselves together with what I'm doing, but I don't feel like all the pieces are there. I think just like how I've done every part of what I've done so far is still a piece of me. I still work out. I'm still very healthy. I, um, I still practice and have brought all those little things into what I'm doing now. And for me, cannabis was a natural progression because I'm actually being able to get away from Western medicine, which in gyms and the fitness industry, it's not that it's necessarily supportive of those things. However, it's still very non-progressive with being able to have those conversations in the facility with people about holistic medicine. You can't really interfere with it. So this gave me the opportunity to be able to actually have a voice and speak on behalf of holistic medication and not to take away from Western medicine, we do need some of it. Um, But we're reliant so heavily on it that people don't really realize that there are other options. And I really wanted to come forth and be able to take everything and say, okay, I'm a health professional. I'm a wellness professional. And every single part and piece of my life, I'm standing by it. And I'm going to talk about all of it. And I'm not going to be in environments that don't let me talk about it. Um, Mm. And I'm going to create and foster people around me and everything that I do is going to be more true, kind of how you're doing. Right. Um, So, yes, I do think that I'll definitely keep evolving. One thing for me, uh, going back to something we talked about earlier, that I I really want to have a voice in as well as it becomes um, more talked about, especially in my state, is psychedelics. Yeah. I think cannabis and psychedelics are two of the most powerful medicines on our planet. And I definitely want to be a part of bringing that into the forefront and talking about the benefits of that also. And then I also think bringing mindfulness into the space with things like hypnosis and, and language and being able to teach people those tools. Um, those are things I'm still figuring out how I can piece them all together and create something really beautiful out of it. And the little, the pieces are starting to float together and I'm, I'm starting to behind the scenes, create what that's going to look like. Um, but for right now, I love what I'm doing and, um, being able to do things like bring the first cannabis beer to the market. This is definitely where both my feet are and, um, what I see for my near future. And I know in in the far future, as I keep growing in the cannabis industry, it's going to allow me to be able to bring these other things into it as research grows. I love it. I really, really love it. And, um, 
Emma, I'm just grateful that you agreed to be on the show. I mean, it was fun. It was informational. People heard some interesting stories on both sides. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to see where this goes. And uh, next time I'm in Las Vegas, uh, we definitely need to share uh, a beer from Two Roots and smoke a little bit and, uh, and continue the story, man. We might even tape it. It could be funny. A hundred percent. We should absolutely tape it. Yeah, they're going to be hilarious. I and uh, just just more abundance bell. Let's finish with the abundance yes! bell. Come on. <laughs> I, I had to get one of those. I don't know. It's pretty cool. I don't know. I really like it. But thank you again, Emma. And I'm excited to share this uh, with the world. I think it's going to be really make a positive impact for a lot of people. Thank you so much for the impact you've had, not just in my life and everybody that you've touched, but I'm so excited. You're doing a podcast now and now more people oh, yeah. have access to your voice. So <laughs> thank you for inviting me on your show. It's such an honor to have this conversation and share this space with you. And we about to crush it. We're going to crush it. <laughs> we out. <laughs> we out. <laughs>